That was an indeed awesome worship time in song. I appreciate that leadership. Uh, I really sense the presence of the Lord. Take your Bibles with me, if you will, and turn in them to our passage that we have been looking through in 1 Thessalonians. Pastor Mark has begun a series in 1 Thessalonians. I am continuing in it today. It's been an upside-down couple of years and a couple of weeks and maybe a couple of months, hasn't it? With all that has been happening in our world, with all of the turmoil, the upside-down world that we've been living in, it's been a confusing and difficult thing to go through for a lot of people. It's reported in the Live World Statistics website called Worldometer. That's a real thing. That the pandemic took 6,513,300 people's lives, while 590,797,870 people survived. Pretty good statistic, the latter one. More than that, I think the publicity of COVID has caused such turmoil and such stress in so many people's lives that is an ongoing thing even to this present day. Even though COVID has subsided to a large extent. And then there's everything else that has happened in our world. The murders that have been taking place. Here in Canada and the United States, if you've read the news at all, you know on September the 4th, a guy went on a killing spree in Saskatchewan, killing 10 people and injuring at least another 15. We've had earthquakes and rioting and floods and fires and all kinds of disasters this past year. Still a fire in Jasper. Not even to mention all the political debacles that have happened in the last couple of years. And yet, even though we've had so many unpredictable things happen this year, in the midst of all of that flux and change and turmoil... There's one thing that remains absolutely unchangeable, which is the word of the living God. The message of the word of God never gives us an alert on our telephones to tell that there's a disaster happening. (laughs) Somebody has been, you know, an amber alert. We never get that. Have you ever gotten one of those from God? I haven't. The Word of God is always up to date. It always speaks to the issues of our day and our time and our personal lives. There's nothing out of date about the Bible. It's not just an ancient book that was written thousands of years ago that we can just kind of give some sort of brief 
survey of and say that was nice history. But the word of God is God's word and it's always up to date. It speaks to the issues of our day. The Bible teacher Ray Stedman once commented that the Bible is like a solid rock in the midst of a desert of shifting sand. Isn't that true? Abraham Lincoln called the Bible God's best gift to man. Daniel Webster, he writes, If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we or our posterity neglect it and its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. Now there's, there's a prophetic statement right there. As we continue in the study that Pastor Mark has been so wonderfully giving to us, we find ourselves today in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to be looking today at verses 13 to 16, where the Apostle Paul begins by profoundly amplifying the preeminence of the word. I'd like to share this with you. In verse 13, he begins... And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Not only is that one of the most remarkable verses about the preeminence of the word of God that there is in the entire Bible, but it also speaks how the word of God comes through ordinary people like you and me. You say, no, me? Yeah, ordinary people. The message of God comes through us, the ordinary people. The great message of the Christmas season, by the way, is that the word came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, of course, and yet he came in humanity, and in the flesh he walked with us, and in the flesh he showed us how to live, and in the flesh, he showed us how to love people and accept people and minister to people. And he shared the word of God with us in an ordinary, easy to understand way. He used parables sometimes. He used life stories. He used pictures from nature. He used illustrations Ways that we could easily understand and comprehend and accept the word of God. And throughout history, that is what God has done. He's communicated through us, to us through human beings who look and talk and act and behave just like you and me. In fact, in the Gospels, there were only three times when God spoke directly to people. And that experience always had a profound effect on those who were listening. They were either paralyzed, <laughs> they, didn't, they couldn't move, they didn't know what to do, or 
they were silenced or they were in fear. It had a profound effect upon them. On one occasion was when God spoke aloud at the baptism of Jesus. Could you imagine if we had a baptism here and all of a sudden in the middle of the baptism we heard the voice of God? <laughs> wow, we'd all be paralyzed, wouldn't we? We'd go, what just, what just happened there? Did the sound guys mess up? You know, <laughs> That's what happened at the baptism of Jesus. Another occasion was when God spoke directly on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John. Remember that Jesus had been praying up on the Mount, the scripture tells us. And the disciples, they went to sleep as per normal. You know, they were tired guys. They were always sleeping. And when they woke up, they saw Jesus in his glory, in his transfiguration. Could you imagine waking up to that? You would think that you were having some kind of an delusion or, you know, some kind of a dream or nightmare or something. And along with Jesus were Moses and Elijah. How they knew that's who it was, I'm not sure because they had never seen them, but somehow they knew that that's who they were. And apparently Moses, after a while, and Elijah started to leave because the text simply says, as the men were departing from him, and impetuous Peter pipes up, say that three times, and he suggests that they build some tents. Hey, let's build some houses so that we can hang out on the mountain a little bit longer and enjoy this wonderful fellowship. And all of a sudden, this cloud covers them all. And in John 12, 28, a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it. No, sorry, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And they departed, and Jesus was now in his body once again. The third time God spoke was the last week before Jesus' crucifixion when Jesus announced his death. John 12, 28, I began to quote that. A voice came from heaven, I have glorified it. That is the name of Jesus, and will glorify it again. And the crowds didn't understand what they heard. Some thought it was thunder. They weren't listening. Some thought they began to make up reasons and excuses for what they just heard. But it was the voice of God. But you know, God doesn't do that very often. I don't know. I have never heard the voice of God. Although I have um, had experiences where God has spoken to me. But I haven't heard that thunderous voice of God in, in my ear, in my ear, like we were talking to one another. No, no, no. God doesn't very often speak to us. But rather, God most often speaks to us through human beings like you and me and in various ways. Jeremiah said, the word of God came to him in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, like a burning fire shut up in my bones. In other words, it was something that he got from God that it was in his bones and he had to talk about it. He had to get it out. It was like a burning fire in his bones. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12, Elijah said the word of God came to him like a still, small voice. It probably wasn't a voice at all, but it was a sense, a realization that God was indeed speaking to him. I think I've had that. 
And Daniel said in various parts of his book, in the book of Daniel, that God spoke to him in visions and dreams in the night, and then Daniel went on to interpret these strange dreams and visions. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, Moses said that when God communicated with him, he spoke with him face to face like a man speaks with a friend. Now, that does not mean that, God, that Moses saw God because nobody can see God and live, but it means that the communication was so clear, it was though God were speaking directly face to face with him. And as a result, Moses wrote the first five books of our Bible. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter wrote, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's the most common way the Word of God comes to us, being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's the way the Thessalonians understood it. Look at it with me again. Verse 13. When you received the word of God, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really was, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. As Paul spoke, they were hearing the word of God. And they were receiving it. And every time our pastor comes and stands behind this pulpit and preaches, you're hearing the word of God. Not just a man, not just a preacher, but the word of God. And we should accept it as such and receive it as such, as a word from God. But of course, this also raises another problem, which is that if the word of God comes through ordinary people, then it can be easily imitated. And so make sure that what you are hearing is genuinely the word of God. You see, false prophets can claim that their phony, fraudulent expressions are also the word of God. History is replete with such examples. The Mormon prophet Joseph Smith claimed that an angel named Moroni appeared to him and revealed things to him, and he claimed to have been given special spectacles that enabled him to read a language written on a golden tablet that he found buried in a hillside. And many people believe that claim, even though the book that he wrote is vastly different from the teachings of the Bible, and even though nobody else has ever seen that book, nor the spectacles, because they were lost, conveniently. I can remember one televangelist back in the 80s or 90s who claimed to have seen a 900-foot Jesus. Of course, he wanted some money so that he could, you know build such a thing. The internet is full of people who claim that God speaks to them directly and gives them a so-called word of knowledge about what's going to happen in somebody else's life. What about all those people who said that Donald Trump was going to win the election? They heard a voice from God 
What happened? Did they not hear God correctly? Did he make a mistake? Were they not listening good that day? Were they have, I don't know, they were a false prophet. I'm telling you, that's what happened. How can we tell if God has really spoken? Or if we're hearing from a false prophet? Let me just give you a few things that you can look for. Number one, remember that God's word will never contradict an experience that happens to you or what is happening in the world. It will never contradict that. As the author of the Bible, as the ruler and maker of the universe, you can expect that true experiences will confirm what the Word of God says. And that means that if somebody promises you something that the Word of God does not promise, you immediately know that you have heard from a false prophet. It will never contradict. Secondly, if a prophet claims a certain event will happen in the future and it doesn't happen, that's a false prophet. How do I, why do I say that? Because in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, it says, And if you say in your heart, How may I know the word that the Lord has spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. In other words, he's a false prophet. And we have a lot of false prophets speaking in our day. Just open your internet browser and you will easily find them making predictions that do not come true. Thirdly, when a, when a real prophet speaks, the word of God makes a change in people's lives. This is my favorite one. This is what Paul was talking about in 1 Thessalonians, verse 13. He says, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. It's at work. You see, simply memorizing the word or reading the word or, or, or just mentally accepting it doesn't change anyone. But if we begin to act on it and obey it, then the word of God begins to make a change in our lives. This is what the author of Hebrews was talking about in chapter 4 and verse 12 when he wrote, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, the word of God it analyzes our motives, our thought processes, our actions. It analyzes all of that like a computer that is analyzing some kind of statistical formula. The Word of God is able to analyze our minds and our hearts and our motives, and it begins to change them over time. He helps us to see that what we are thinking is not right thinking and he begins to correct it so that we begin to think right. He begins to analyze it and show us that some of the habits that we have or the actions that we are displaying are not according to the word of God and it begins to change that. 
You can't be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ and not be changed. A person will become a different person. The Bible says, behold, all things are new. The old things have passed away. And we begin to have new habits, new thought processes, new ways of doing things. Because the word of God changes us. Maybe you're familiar with the story, the mutiny on the bounty. In the 19th century, mutineers took over their ship. They put the captain adrift on a lifeboat. And they ended up finally on the island of Pitcairn in the South Pacific. Now, we don't often hear very much about what happened after they landed on the mountain, on that, on that island, rather. They were a rather rough and tough and godless bunch of sailors for the most part. And together with the wives that they had gotten from Tahiti, they spent most of their days drinking and gambling and carousing and fighting with one another. And pretty soon, the, the fighting led to battles and they killed each other off until the colony was simply reduced to a handful of people. Among them was a man by the name of Alexander Smith. Rummaging through his trunk one day, he found a Bible that his mother had put there. Moms, how many times have you heard that story? Jonathan Edward, his mom. George Whitfield, his mom. Wesley, his mom. Moms, you have a tremendous effect on your children. She put a Bible in his trunk. He began to read it. And it changed his life. And he read it to the other mutineers on the island and it changed their life. When the island was rediscovered some years later, it had become a model community. You don't often hear that part of the story. There were no jails because there was no crime. They were changed. They loved God and they loved one another. You see, the book, the Bible, totally changed their lives and their society. And that's what the Word of God does to everyone who receives it. Will you receive it? Allow it to do its work in your life. Another reality about the word is that sometimes it creates violent opposition. Look at verse 14 with me. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all other mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Wow. This has happened to every generation throughout history, by the way. People have been bound in animal skins and let to dry and shrivel up in the hot sun and they've been thrown into lion's dens and 
They've been burned alive and sawn in two and exiled and drowned. You might wonder, why does the word of God invoke such violence in people? Let me give you several reasons. Number one, because there's only one way to salvation, and it's simply through Jesus Christ. We aren't saved by earning a degree or getting a good reputation or by good behavior or some achievement. But as the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's how we're saved. And other religions take great offense at that. It makes a lot of people angry that the only way to be reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ. And I think it's because sin makes man want to live independent from God. Wasn't that the sin of the garden? Oh, God didn't really say that. Did he really mean that? If you eat that, he knows that you're going you're gonna to be your own person. Wouldn't that be great? And Satan has propagated that lie through the centuries. Second is because the gospel exposes human pride. You know, there's a terrible evil in all of us that all of us try to hide. It's an independence that says, I don't need any help. I can live life myself. I don't need a God telling me what to do. I find it true in myself sometimes. I can get stubborn and think that I can handle things by myself. And I use the excuse that if you want something done right, see, some of you have thought that way too. Do it yourself. Besides, I have German blood and we can get kind of stubborn sometimes, can't we? Can I get an amen? Awful silent out there. We keep our pride under control most of the time, but unleashed, it can break out in viciousness and vindictiveness. Proverbs says that there are seven things that God hates, and guess what number one is on the list? A proud look, which is an independent from God and a trust in our own power. There's an old hymn, I doubt that you know it, I doubt that you've sung it, you probably don't know the tune or the words, but the the name of the hymn is, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say, which expresses this sentiment so well. This is one of the verses. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living waters, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and drank of that life-giving stream. My soul was blessed, my heart revived, and now I live in him. And the key to that verse is that phrase, stoop down. Because you can't receive the living water where you're unwilling to stoop down and admit that you don't have it. You have to admit that you can't Live on your own. You can't save yourself. And that's what so many people today refuse to do. They live in independence from God. And the third reason the gospel arouses opposition is because it forgives sinners. The Pharisees, they were so offended all the time. 
Because the gospel saves people who don't deserve to be saved. Prostitutes, adulterers, outcasts, thieves. While respectable people like the Pharisees, they were excluded. Unless they received it, of course. And that's why they finally killed Jesus. Because the gospel appeals to the disreputable. And that's the glory in it all. That it can change anyone willing to receive it in humility and repentance. There's one last lesson about the word I wanted us to say. And it's that the word wakes us up to our situation. Look at verse 16. He says, so as, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Now, when he talks about filling up the measure of their sins, he's talking about the Jews in Judea who were persecuting the believers. When, when Paul wrote this letter, it was a dark day in Israel. The Roman armies were being hassled by Jewish rebellions. Before long, Rome would step in and they would siege Jerusalem and break down its walls and destroy the temple and take the Jewish people captive. Paul knew that was going to happen. But God was allowing them to, he said, fill up the measure of their sins. That's the Jewish people, not the Romans. God isn't an angry God. But he's patient. And he's always giving us a last chance to wake up and see what's happening in our lives so that we can repent and so that we can change. But if we don't wake up and if we don't change, we'll have to live with the consequences that is demanded by God to deal with and to discipline us for our sins. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the wrath of God that brings terrible consequences as a last-ditch effort to open the eyes of those who are sinning to reality. And frankly, I believe that's what's happening in our world today. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But it seems to me we're not experiencing so much hate and violence and brutality in our world because we don't have good enough laws or because we're such good people or because things are getting better all the time. But it's because people have chosen to live independently from God and as a result we're seeing what is happening today. We've taken the Bible out of the schools. We hardly say pledge allegiance and we want to take God out of it all. We want to be independent from God and we're seeing what we're seeing today because of our desire to live independent from God. And could it be, could it be that God is using these things Floods and earthquakes and pandemics and natural disasters to awaken us to what is happening in our own lives. I'm not God. I don't know for sure. 
But it makes me wonder, because Ephesians chapter 5, remember God's word never contradicts itself. Ephesians 5, 6 says that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Could it be? There's no way to have it all our own way and avoid the wrath of God. God is still Lord. He's still ruler. He still controls it all. He hasn't left us. He's going to take care of us. But when a society determines that they don't need God and that they can take control themselves, the result is what we see today. Promiscuity, child abuse, rape, violence, murder, drug abuse, rocketing teenage suicide. That's what's happening today. Now, these sobering words, church, ought to encourage us as followers of Jesus Christ to walk through our days with a new song in our hearts. You say, well, that's an odd thing for you to say after you've just pummeled us with all these disastrous, horrible things. Why? Why can I say that? It's because As followers of Jesus, we don't get caught up in the shallow expressions and experiences of this world to bring us joy. But the source of our joy is knowing that in the midst of all that we experience in the world today, God is still on the throne. God still rules. And we have to be a people of prayer, asking that the hearts and the minds of the people will wake up to see what's happening before it's too late. And if you're among those, those online, those in the sanctuary, who have not received this free gift of Jesus Christ, who is offered to all who will repent and believe in him, I invite you to do so today. Let him change your life. Let him change the course of your life. Let him make you a new person in Christ. You can do that simply by asking him, confessing your sin, and he'll come into you and live with you and make you a new person. You could do that right now as we pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would continue to change lives, our lives, by your living word. I pray for those who may have never received this wonderful gift of God, salvation, that today they will make that choice to turn to you and live by your word. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on a cross and was buried and raised the third day and that you live today and that you want to live in me and make me your child. I receive this gift today. If you said a prayer like that, congratulations. Please contact us. Let us know who you are so we can encourage you. Lord Jesus, we just commit ourselves to you as we live in this day that is so uh, so perplexing and with so many things happening. Help us to be people of the word who live by the word and who rejoice in the word. In Jesus' name, amen.